it's Elise here and I am back with another episode. Thank you so much if you're listening again and if you're a new listener, welcome and I hope you enjoy. So I've had a couple weeks off from the whirlwind of Halloween. During this time, however, I have not really been resting. I've been doing multiple interviews every week and gathering more amazing stories to share with you all. There are a couple episodes left in this season, but I'm planning to do another Unsolved Mysteries special for Christmas, so that one will come out December 23rd, and I've found some great Canadian mysteries to talk about, so I'm really excited for this one. So today I'm going to be talking about the Bailey Theatre in Camrose and the very well-known Seriously, it's on every most haunted list, most haunted Canadian places, most haunted Canadian theaters, all of those lists. And that is the Empress Theater in Fort McLeod. So I would like to say a big thank you to David, Margaret Ann, and Diana, who all shared some great stories and information to help out with these locations. So I hope you will all enjoy these tales, one of a janitor that never left, and also of an experience that left even a magician stumped. The first theatre that I'm going to talk about is the beautiful Bailey Theatre in Camrose. A man named Camille David left Winnipeg in search of greener pastures, and quite literally, He left with a herd of cattle and was on the hunt for a nice place to build a ranch. He settled in Rosalind, Alberta, and later made his move to Camrose, where he purchased a wine, liquor, and cigar store on the main street. Across the street in 1910, he began construction on the David Theatre. The first show was in 1911, and the theatre hosted many events, from touring shows, live amateur theatre, to even boxing matches. Just eight years later, though, David would sell the theatre to a man named Stan Bailey. The theatre, however, still remained the David Theatre for a couple of years. It was under the tutelage of Bailey that the theatre would see some pretty important upgrades. A 40-foot lobby and a 120-seat balcony. The theatre seems to have been very successful and seems to have kept up with the demands of an ever-changing entertainment scene, Until the 90s, however, when large multiplex theaters began to take over. And this happened with a lot of theaters like this. When multiplexes came in, they went out. Despite attempts at the end of the 90s to revitalize the beloved theater, it actually wasn't until 2006 when a major investor stepped in and really facilitated the donation of further funds that kickstarted the restoration into high gear. So just in time for the 100-year anniversary of its opening, the Bailey Theatre reopened in 2011. The new theatre has a lot of really cool features. So they have a bistro that's open daily, a basement now for storage, and an elevator for moving large set pieces and different equipment, and much, much more. Now, along with the new state-of-the-art features, the Bailey Theatre Society also made sure to pay homage to the rich past. I spoke with David, who's been involved with the Bailey in many different ways for the past 20 years, including his current seat on the board of directors. He told me with great enthusiasm that made me really want to visit right now. Um, He told me about their windows to the past, where in various places in the theater, they have glass windows installed in the walls 
where you can look through and see original pieces from the old theater. So I think this is such a cool idea. There's one that showcases old ticket stubs, bottles, and old movie posters. Another shows an old projector that would have been used. And one of the neatest things that he told me about was during the restoration in the dressing rooms underneath wallpaper, there was a sheet of plywood. Underneath that were old movie posters that were plastered all over the wall. And these were preserved by the plywood on top. So once those were taken off, they actually discovered that underneath that were signatures from vaudeville performers who visited the original theater. So that's so cool. And it's just neat that sort of with all of those layers, they actually acted as a preservation for the things that were underneath. So this is one of the featured windows from the past. So you can see some of those amazing signatures from different vaudeville acts. Though David's been involved in the theater in some capacity for so long, and he does believe in the paranormal, he's not experienced anything for himself. However, David told me some of the most famous stories from the theater, and I have to say they're pretty cool. The first one, and this one's my favorite, was during a magic performance. The magician was on stage doing his act, and people in the audience witnessed a large man in a long, dark coat and black hat at the back of the stage. And many of them probably just assumed this is part of the act somehow, but were most likely a little bit confused as to why it didn't really end up relating to the performance at all. So at the end of the show, the magician came out into the audience and was chatting with people. And he asked several people, who was that large man in the black coat and hat who was standing out in the audience? Numerous people said, well, we didn't see anyone in the audience. No one was standing in the audience but we saw that man behind you on the stage. So that's an awesome story. I love that. And I love stories where there's a large witness group like that. I find that so interesting. Now, as far as David knew, there hadn't been any other sightings of a man that looked like that, but there have been sightings of a woman in white. David told me another really cool story about an employee who had brought his daughter in with him one day. He was cleaning up chairs and moving things around for an event, and his daughter went up to play in the balcony. He was really impressed with how quiet she was being, and when he was finished, he asked her what she was doing. And she said very matter-of-factly that she had been playing with the nice lady. Well, much to Dad's dismay, he knew that the theater, apart from the two of them, was very much empty. I say, as a general rule, you know something's up when your kid is being quiet, <laughs> so... The woman was seen by another employee, David told me, when he was moving chairs from the floor to the basement via the elevator. So when the doors opened on the basement level, the light from the elevator would pour out into the hallway. He looked out of the elevator to see a woman in white cross in front of him. He was about to follow her, but she disappeared through a wall. This same employee another time was in the theater and looked through to the kitchen. The light in the hallway was on, but the kitchen was dark behind him. And again, he saw a woman walk across, but he knew there was no one else in the theater. So there is a theory that the woman in white may have been Camille David's young bride, but really we'll never know for sure. As we've seen with a lot of other locations and even with the theater episode uh, from BC, we know that sometimes it doesn't mean that someone has died in the theater or even died tragically or anything like that. 
sometimes people are just drawn back to the theater or back to a place that they loved or, or something significant happened for them. So really, we may never know, but that is the theory. So one really amazing thing that I have to share about this place is that there's going to be a documentary coming out in 2020. It's called Marquee Rising, and it sounds amazing. I'll put up the pitch video on the blog for this episode, and I will keep in touch with you all about when it's going to be released. Um, I know for sure I'll be looking into it because it sounds great. Um, So in the meantime, if you want to check out events at the Bailey Theatre, I will have all of their information, of course, up on the blog. Camrose also has their own ghost tours. And sometimes, David said, they will even bring people into the theatre if possible. But the tours that David hosts at the theatre are not advertised as haunted tours. They don't seem to shy away from sharing the stories about it, but it's a historical tour. So there are a couple of options if you would like to visit the theater on your own, and I really encourage you to. It's a pretty cool place. The last location I'm going to talk about is the Empress Theater in Fort McLeod. This is one of the oldest theaters in Western Canada and is a source of pride, really, for many who live in Fort McLeod and and the surrounding areas. The original owner, T.B. Martin, began construction on the Empress during a boom in the town in 1910. The theater was completed in 1912, and in an article in a local paper, it was slated to be, quote, first-class theater with every modern accessory. The theater was and has been a staple of the Main Street Strip and has seen many uses from vaudeville, silent films, talkies, concerts, lectures, and live theater. Though the theater has seen many owners, the integrity of the stunning theater has both grown and yet remained intact. Near the end of the Depression in 1937, businessman Dan Boyle purchased the theater and upgraded it with a new balcony with 100 seats. In 1963, at the age of 69, Dan passed away suddenly in his home. At this time, television was really booming, and 1963 actually marked the end of the theater's really successful period back then. In the early 80s, the town rallied together and revitalized the downtown core. In 1987, the Provincial Historical Society took over the theater and worked on the building for the next few years. We've talked about this in the past, but there is a common belief that construction and renovations can often kick up activity in a location. Now, there are many different beliefs of how and why this could be happening. One theory is that spirits from the past will be drawn back to the location as they want to almost approve or disprove of changes that are being made. The other theory is related to the notion that our energy is absorbed into the walls, the floor, the environment different materials around, and when those things are disturbed, the energy is then released and results in residual hauntings. So both are different as residual hauntings, like we've spoken about, are recordings. They don't interact with the living, but simply replay a sound, image, smell, feeling, etc. But in the other case, with an intelligent haunting like a former owner, for example, coming back to approve or disprove changes being made, they would be interacting with the living and their surroundings. As a side note, I just want to say I've been thinking about doing an episode that would be sort of a crash course in terminology and common beliefs in the paranormal world. So things like residual, like I've talked about many times, intelligent hauntings, 
so that it's all in one place. So if you are interested in that, please let me know and I'll come up with something for the new year. Continuing on with the Empress, some people do believe that Dan Boyle may be one of the spirits who visits uh, once in a while, but the main spirit is a man known as Ed. There was a janitor in the 30s who also worked at a local auction house. He was well known for enjoying whiskey and a smoke, and these are two things that are commonly smelled when it's believed that Ed is near. Another thing that's smelled is manure sometimes, which again makes sense for it to be Ed because he worked at this auction market. So Ed passed away suspiciously and was found outside the auction house. Now, I will say I've been searching and I haven't been able to find a newspaper article about this. Like I've said before, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, I just wasn't able to find anything. Now, Ed is the source of most of the haunting stories in the theater. I spoke with the current theater manager, Margaret Ann. She's been with the theater for six years and the past two as manager. She told me about how she will get calls relatively commonly from people saying that they saw their janitor cleaning the lobby the night before and he was smoking. So they're calling to tell her either they shouldn't let their janitor smoke in there or if they don't know that he's smoking, he should be reprimanded. Well, aren't they shocked to know that number one, (laughs) this is not the first time that they've heard this. Number two, they don't have a male janitor or at least at that time they didn't. And number three, they wouldn't have been there at that time. No employees at the times that people are saying they've seen a janitor in there, there are no employees there at that time. And finally, that this is actually believed to be the spirit of a janitor from days past. She also told me that he's quite the trickster. So when they have drama kids camps, the kids get really excited for lunchtime because they can't wait to see where Ed has hidden their lunches. (laughs) So they will disappear from their original place and sometimes be found in the locked balcony. She laughed about this and said that the kids think it's pretty funny. Another thing that Ed likes to do is when Margaret Ann is doing history tours and she mentions their resident ghosts, it's not uncommon to get a skeptic or two who will sort of you know, snicker and and laugh about it. And at that point, she said it, it seems like Ed likes to prove it by flickering the lights or making the movie screen come up on the stage. So she said, usually they'll kind of laugh it off and try to explain it away. But Margaret Ann knows there's no other explanation other than Ed making himself known. And especially with the movie screen on the stage, I mean, she knows how that works and how it would come up. And there's just no explanation. Another common thing that she noted with Ed is that he has his own seat up in the balcony. The balcony is closed during movies because of the sound system. And they'll go up there and see that his seat is down as if he was sitting there enjoying the show. During plays, the balcony is open for patrons, but they never sell Ed's seat. There's nothing malevolent about Ed. And from everyone that I've talked to, everything that I've read, there's nothing bad about him. He's a trickster and, you know... He's just, he just loves being there. It seems as though they're all learning to kind of coexist. Margaret Ann did talk about something that we're all familiar with. I've spoken about this many times before, but it's the notion that if the energy from the living is good, the energy from the spirits reflect that. 
She did say that there was a person employed at the theater who was very negative and that this was the only time she noticed the energy shift. She talked about a hallway where they have old movie posters and you would walk down there and everything would be fine. And you would come back down the hall and the posters would be flipped or skewed on the wall. And she believed that this was a message from the spirit saying that they were unhappy. The last straw, it seemed, was when there was a flood in the theater. It was unexplainable how it happened. It just didn't make sense. And they were able to save everything. But Margaret Ann let the board know this was no coincidence. There was a negative person working here and it was upsetting the energy. She said that once this person was gone, there was a complete shift of the energy back to calm. There are two books that I found and I'll link them in the blog and they both had some really great stories to tell about the Empress from past employees and different people involved. The first book is called World's Most Haunted Places by Jeff Ballinger. He tells a story about how people would sometimes come to the ticket booth and the ticket seller was an elderly gentleman. They would make their purchase and then later find out that it was actually a woman working the ticket booth for the entire night. So this was a story in the book, but please keep in mind, this wasn't mentioned by Margaret Ann. This might be something that hasn't happened for a very long time. The next book that I looked into is called Spirits of the West, Eerie Encounters from the Prairies to the Pacific by Robert C. Bellick. So there's a lot of stories in this one about the Empress. Um, Everything from security systems inexplicably triggered at all hours of the night, only to be investigated and found to be nothing, to phantom laughing and footsteps at night. And one of my favorite stories in this book is of an employee who is working a couple buildings down. The telephone lines were connected between these buildings and this employee would come in here and there and would see the phone lines from the theater lit up, thinking that possibly someone just didn't disconnect the phones properly because the alarm system was still activated and no one was in the theater. You know, he would just pick the phone line up to disconnect it and no one would be there. Now, another time he was working late one night and got a call and what he heard was pretty chilling. A raspy voice said, how do I get out of here? Thinking they meant, how can I get a line out? He tried to explain how to work the phone and the call dwindled and cut off and the voice had sounded sort of far away. The phone rang again and the same raspy voice said, how do I get out of here? When the caller was asked where he was, the raspy voice replied at the back of the theater. So the employee walked two doors down to check out the situation. He walked past the stage where a group was in the midst of a theater program. The back of the stage was pitch black. There was no one back there. Now, of course, he thought maybe it could have been one of the aspiring actors in the group. Maybe they played a prank. Well, maybe. Only if they knew the three-digit extension of his office. If they'd been able to sneak away from the small group without anyone noticing. And furthermore, they would have had to have been able to make their way in the dark, to the phone, at the back, again, with no one noticing. So this employee fully believed that this was Ed. So make sure to check out those books if you'd like to read more. And of course, it's not just about the Empress. There's many other places. So make sure to check that out if you want to read more stories like that. Lastly, I was able to track down and speak with a previous employee named Diana. She was wonderful and had some great content to share. 
And um, lastly, there's a lot of mention in that last book of Diana's stories. So very interesting. It's really cool to chat with people connected to the theater, and you can just tell how much the love they have for the building and its history. Diana was a member of the board when the town took over the Empress, but before that, when Dan Boyle owned the theater, she was actually a frequent theatergoer as a child. She sort of laughed and said, you know, in a small town like that, that's, that's pretty much all there was to do. So it was kind of cool that it came full circle for her and she ended up working and being involved in the theater for about 20 years, she said. Now I asked Diana if she knew anything more about Ed because I was finding it hard to find out more information about him. She said that her father knew Ed and that he did indeed work as a janitor at the theater and worked at the auction market. He said that he did turn up deceased under suspicious circumstances There was mention of murder, but as far as she knows, the police didn't really look into it all that much. She felt like it might have been because he was known to be a drinker, and maybe this sort of invalidated an investigation further into what happened. The reports of a large man with hairy arms is definitely believed to be Ed, and Diana said that her father confirmed, yes, this is what he looked like. She said that two young girls said they'd seen a large man, hairy arms, behind them in a mirror in the basement lady's bathroom. And actually, Margaret Ann did say that sometimes he's been seen in mirrors. Actors have seen a large man of the same description sitting in the same seat in the balcony that we know is Ed's. So it seems that this is something that he's always done, at least for many years. Many people also described seeing someone walk across the hallway in the basement. Diana herself has had numerous experiences during her time at the Empress. During two separate board meetings in the theater, she tells me that one time, two coffee cups slid the entire length of the table, and at another meeting, during a heated discussion, they heard crying. So she believes that the building and its energy really responds to what's happening. And this is something that Margaret Ann and I talked about as well, that a negative atmosphere will elicit an energy shift. So it's really interesting that two people involved with the theater who don't know each other have had the same observations. Diana also talked about the trust built between the spirits there and the people who work there. She said that one time there was an investigation type group or a medium that had come in. And after that experience, the activity was quiet for a really long time. She believes the spirits could have kind of lost some trust at that time because, as she said, most of the experiences that happen are to employees. So she sort of believes that because the employees are there all the time and and the spirits have begun to trust them, that those are the people they'll communicate with the most. I want to quickly draw a bit of a parallel between this and Three Valley Gap. Uh, ghost town in BC, when Rosina said that an investigator came in and was demanding spirits to leave, and that it ended up being a really negative experience. So I think this can certainly be a learning experience for people out there thinking about letting investigators come in. I think it can be an amazing thing, but you really have to vet the people and see that their intentions are good and in line with what you want to come out of the experience. Because I think there are some groups out there who can do more harm than good. And even a lot of reputable groups will even tell you this. 
So a lot of locations I've spoken to do practice this already. They're very careful about who they let in, who they talk to about these things. So I just found it really interesting. And I think that it makes complete sense that the spirits may have felt threatened. She said that at times in the auditorium, when they'd be cleaning up at the end of a night, after a show, you know, popcorn, wrappers, different things like that, they would put the seats up as they went down the rows. And as they moved to the next row, the previous row would have its seats down already. She said that they would be putting wrappers and popcorn, like I said, in the garbage. And as fast as they would put things in, they would turn around to find the garbage back out on the floor. And they would have to say, okay, that's enough. I'm tired. I want to go home. And she said it would stop. She said also they knew that they were kids because you would hear little feet running down the carpeted aisles. The alarm system would also always go off, and of course in the middle of the night. So Diana was a key holder, and she would get the calls sometimes at 2 a.m. Now policy was you couldn't go alone, so she would usually pick up her co-worker Joyce. One time they went and they came onto the stage, and the stairs had construction on them, so they had to actually just jump off the front of the stage, about three feet. So Diana jumped off no problem. Joyce was close behind, but she misstepped and she fell. And when she fell, she heard an oof, as if she fell on top of someone. Neither of them made that noise. So that was kind of a really funny thing. She said it was just kind of a a cool little thing that happened. Another time they were going through and checking the building and Joyce was singing a little song. She was kind of known to hum here and there and They were going through and checked and no one was there. And so they were leaving and the lights were all off. They were getting ready to go out the door. And the song that she had been singing and humming was whistled back from behind them. (laughs) She laughed and said that was pretty cool. So (laughs) I thought that was awesome. I love her outlook. One time that unnerved her, however, was when she was working concession and she kept hearing steps in the basement. She heard them come up the stairs across the lobby, and stood right next to her. Now, obviously, there was no one attached to the footsteps, and she said that was pretty unnerving because, okay, this person's standing right next to me. But she does reiterate she's never felt threatened or bad energy. The last story she had was when she was in the projection booth, taking the film off and putting it on this platter, and there were two of them in there and she just had this weird feeling and so did the other person that someone was just watching them. They looked through the little window the film projects through and there was someone on the other side looking right at them. So I will say there are no haunted theater tours here but if you are able to go in on a weekday and Margaret Ann isn't busy, she's usually more than happy to give people a tour of this beautiful theater. So this brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you've all enjoyed these stories from the Bailey and the Empress. I will, of course, have all of the pertinent information up on this week's blog and under the Maps Tours tab on the website. So again, I'd like to say thank you so much to David, Margaret Ann, and Diana. I really appreciate the help and your contributions to this episode. If you end up visiting these locations, please let them know where you heard about it and let me know if you experience anything yourself. Please send stories, comments, suggestions, or even a hi to realscarypodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Real Scary Podcast, 
and check out my website where you can find the blog and much, much more at realscarypodcast.ca. I would also like to say it would be awesome if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a rating on whichever platform you are listening on. Those things just really help me keep going with this podcast and know what you like, what you don't like, you know, how I can make this better for you. There are two more episodes left in this season, as I mentioned, and there will be a special Christmas episode. I hope you will all stick with me because let me tell you, next season is going to be wild. (laughs) I've already begun working on some of the episodes for the new year and they're mind blowing. So the next episode will be out on December 3rd. And until next time, this is your friendly neighborhood host, Elise. Elise.